airwaves, here is my request. You don't have to play it, but I hope you'll do your best. I've been listening to your show on the radio, and you seem like a friend to me. Howdy, hi, Victoria. Stand the man. Hello. Oh, don't get up, it's only me. Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420-3XY, how are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six, 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3 E, the breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420 3XY. Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 40 minutes or so where we get to talk with the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. This week's guest spent 17 years at one of Melbourne's premier radio stations, was involved in at least three format changes and reinventions, and even got to share the microphone with a king. Dennis Scanlon, welcome to Pilots, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Paul. My pleasure. Now, Dennis, let's rewind that clock back to the late 50s and those impressionable Scanlon teenage years. Where did you grow up? How did you occupy yourself? And when did a career in radio come onto the horizon? Well, Paul, I was brought up in North Bourne, which is a fairly, um, well, it is now, a fairly, uh, I think you'd say, upper-middle-class suburb of Melbourne. Um, My parents, I was an only child, um, my parents, uh, they were very conservative. My father made a few very bad investments. So I can remember from the age of about 11 or 12, um, things economically were uh, pretty bad. Uh, my father wouldn't hear about living North, North Baldwin, so he, he took out second mortgages. So my childhood was, being an only child and my parents having financial troubles, it was okay, but I could have had a happier childhood. But I always had a desire to be a radio announcer. I don't know where it came from. From the age of about 12, I used to go to a, a room out the back and practice being a, uh, a radio announcer. I remember my father saying to me, uh, listen, Dennis, um, why don't you get a real job? Don't, no one becomes a radio announcer. And I said, Dad, I'm going to become a radio announcer. So what happened then was uh, I got to about, uh, I was 17 and left school. It wasn't great at school. Okay, it wasn't great. And I worked in an electrical store called Beals for about, uh, I was 17 at this stage, for about 14 months. And then I heard about um, a gentleman who in, in Victoria, and probably around Australia, is a legend, a, a man called Lee Murray. And he used to operate out of an office in Kelvin Hall in Melbourne, in Exhibition Street. And you'd go there on a Friday night and you'd sit around the table. And he was very, very conservative in his ways. He'd been a uh, actor and also had been for a short time an announcer at 3AW. So we used to sit there on a Friday night and I remember others at the table, there was Colin McEwen, who later went to 3XY, sadly no, uh, no longer with us, Brian Blackmore, the race caller, um, and um, 
Lee Murray taught so many people. Bert Newton went to Lee Murray, Philip Brady, um, people of big Brady names of the day years ago, John Ford, and he had incredible contacts. If a job came up in a country station, the first person the manager would ring would, Lee, would be Lee Murray, and he'd say, Lee, we need an announcer here. So I went to Lee Murray's, and we just read scripts, and he got us to ad-lib, and then that was, uh, I said, Lee Murray's, uh, oh, probably... Um, about six months, and then he, one Friday night, he said, uh, Dennis, um, three and he went um, they want, um, they want an announcer. So, um, he said, uh, go into, uh, that room there and just read some scripts and then, uh, I'll give you the address and send a, as it was then, a, a tape to, uh, three and So I did that, got the job. That was, uh, 24th of May, 1959, Paul that I started my radio career at 3&E Wangaratta. That was, of course, back in the days, Dennis, when country radio stations were indeed the lifeblood of the community and young announcers served, served a genuine apprenticeship. They did. Well, that, that's what it was. You, you did an apprenticeship in the country. At 3&E, you're right. In those days, there was no such thing as networking. I mean, these days in Victoria, you've got ACE. You tune to an ACE station. It's the same thing on every ACE station. It started coming out of Melbourne or warnable, but this was long before the days of networking. So at 3&E you had, uh, we used to do ball broadcasts. You went to a, a, a hall where there might be a band playing and they'd send you along. I remember doing one with um, a female who was a bit uneasy. Well, it was an uneasy situation because the uh, girl that you did the ball broadcast with happened to be the daughter of the guy that owned the radio station, Dave Delarue. But anyway, I got on well with her, Estelle, and you'd go to this hall and the band would be playing and uh, then the band would break for about half an hour and you certainly then had to learn the art of that living because you'd get, go on for half an hour while the band was out the back. Well, Estelle, what do you think of the decorations? Oh, they're lovely, Dennis. A lovely, this is a beautiful old hall and you went on and on and on. But things like ball broadcast, which you'd never do now, of course, um, they did teach you how to add lead, how to, uh, you know, just talk you out of a, talk yourself out of a situation. But you just, you just do things like funeral announcements, because um, you, in Wangaratta the newspaper only came out twice a week. So if someone died on a Monday, and they were buried on the Thursday, the only way they let people know about the funeral was on the radio station. So twice a day at midday and 6 p.m. at 3 and e we had gongs in those days, and you'd ring the gong three times. Ding, ding, ding. And then you'd bring in Handel's Lager, I remember, on little 45. You'd bring it up, then you'd fade it down, and you'd say, it was deep regret, we announced the funeral, blah, 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 blah. So you had funeral announcements, uh, uh, ball broadcasts, uh, and it really was part of the community. People wanted to know what was going on in Wangaratta. They listened to uh, 3&E, unlike today. Well, 3&E is now owned by Ace, so if you turned into 3&E now, you'd hear something probably coming coming out of Melbourne or uh, coming out of uh, Warrnambool. So I think networking has been a, a very, very bad thing, not only for the local communities, but if young guys can't get that apprenticeship in country stations because Ace probably only employ about two announcers. So about 14 months in Wangaratta, then a small amount of time at 3SH in Shepparton, and then it's off to Faraday Street in Carlton and the 3XY newsroom. I assume that was around the Aki and Jackie time. Who else was part of the XY stable at that stage? Yeah, well, there's Aki, you're right, Aki and Jackie. I'll tell you a story about that in a moment. Aki and Jackie, who were big coup, Bob Beck, who was the manager of 3XY, 
uh, big coup. He got Aki and, Aki and Jackie from 3UZ. There was also John Burles, um, who uh, he picked up from 2KY in Sydney. John Marr, who was very big on 2SM, had a very, very sexy voice. So there was Aki and Jackie, there was John Marr, a guy called Ron Bond doing breakfast. And our news editor was John Ford, who was a very big name in Melbourne, beautiful voice. Um, he came from 3KZ when Norman, but literally Norman Banks went from KZ to AW, John Ford took his place. So John Ford became news editor, and he actually hired me. I had, it was a 3SH one, he'd only there 10 months, very happy 10 months, and Lee Murray rang and said, Son, that's the way I used to talk, uh, Son, there's a news job going out the 3XY. And I said, Oh, Mr. Murray, always Mr. Murray, I don't, um, I don't really want to do news, you know, chasing Amber Luke to son. It's a foot in the door. It's, it's Melbourne Radio, and it's a lot more money. So I took the job, and it was, it was chasing ambulances, but it also taught me a, another aspect of uh, radio, how to compile a news bulletin, how to do interviews. But, um, yeah, so Aki and Jackie, it was interesting because they got in real trouble with 3UZ. At 3UZ, Aki did a, a joke that the control board was never going to take the license away. UZ let them go. And they had to be uh, pre-recorded. Um, they weren't allowed to go to air live, so they would start at eight o'clock and then go to nine. Then at nine o'clock we would replay the hour between eight and nine, and so on. But they weren't allowed to go to air live, and a, they had a producer who had to sit and listen to every single word. And if they said anything out of place, he'd go in and say, "No, that can't go to air." So, and also when I was at Three X Five, Bert Newton. Bert had uh, been at Channel 7 and he had a basically what you'd, in those days you'd call a nervous breakdown. And he had a, a big comeback at 3XY, remembering that uh, he did start at 3XY. He started at 3XY as a junior announcer at the age of 17. But and years and years later this was, um, when he was a star on Channel 7, he used to make a comeback on Saturday afternoon on uh, 3XY doing, I think, 1.30 to 6 on a Saturday afternoon, and I was, I was his newsreader. And uh, got along famously with Bert, very, very nice guy. Um, so, yeah, I had the pleasure of working with Bert Newton at 3XY. So some big names there. Um, so John Ford was regarded very, very highly in Melbourne Radio, but it was a happy... Um, um, I was there for three and a half, nearly four years, but probably working with someone like Bert Newton was, because uh, I was very nervous. He was very nervous with his big comeback, and I was nervous. I thought, gee, you know, reading the news for Bert Newton. So that was probably my highlight at uh, 3XY, having, um, having worked with, uh, with Bert. So the time eventually came to an end at 3XY, and uh, then, of course, it was on to 3DB. Melbourne has the cup and the football. Melbourne has the mob, but that's not all. Melbourne has Radio 3DB. So how did that important move come about? Uh, well, actually, a guy called John Anderson. Paul, John Anderson was a lovely guy. Mm. He was at uh, 3XY, and he got an offer to go to 3DB. We got on very well, and he went over to 3DB. And I was at XY reading news, but I thought, you know, I'd, I'd love to do... Uh, they gave me a couple of mid-dawn shifts to do, but, uh, you know, I really wanted to be an announcer, not a news person. Anyway, John Anderson... He went over to DB and he rang one day and said, look, they want a mid-dawn announcer here, ring John Eden. Do you want to leave 3XY? I said, yeah, I want to get out of news. So I rang uh, John Eden, who was then 
studio manager, they call it in those days. Also, John Eaton did breakfast. So um, he said, ring John Eaton, which I did, and uh, came in to see John Eaton. He said, yes, uh, we've had listen, we had listened to your tape. Yes, you've, you've, you've got our style. Yes, yes, we don't, uh, we don't have DJs here. 3DB at this stage were very conservative. They sort of, uh, Jeff McComas, you know, sort of spoke very, very properly, and it was sort of the, <laughs> the commercial ABC. Um, I remember I had to, uh, after John Eden said, yes, well, now, the next thing, you've got to see Mr. Crawford. Everyone was Mr. Curtis Crawford, who was the, the manager. And I always remember my interview with uh, Mr. Crawford. He said, the first thing he asked me was, uh, not how long have you been in radio, or um, I've had listened to your tape, is, uh, what does your father do? I can't believe this. I said, oh, Mr. Crawford, he's um, a manufacturer's agent. What does that exactly mean? So I explained that. What books do you read? I said, oh. And after this very strange, bizarre interview, he said, oh, by the way, um, I've had to listen to your tape. Not bad. You need a bit of work. So um, Ron Kinsey, our program manager, will do a bit of work on you, but uh, you, you, you've got the basics. So um, the job is yours. Any questions? I said, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Crawford, um, how much? Oh, um, £25 a week is the salary, and you'll be on six weeks probation. So that was uh, probably the most bizarre interview I've ever had. I always remember the first question was, what does your father do? Basically, he was, he was a bit of a snob. Um, uh, so I think the fact that I went to say, oh, what school did I go to? So that's what True to Be was like in those days. And I had, uh, oh, gee, it was nearly four years on Midnight the Dawn, which I loved. And uh, I felt very secure there. They didn't write the mid-dawn. 3DB and 3LK, key stations in Victoria of the major broadcasting network, a quarter to eight. This is the Herald Sun Radio News, read by Jeff McComas. 3DB in those days were doing very well. John Eden was king of breakfast. Um, they had uh, people like Mel Walden was there. And I remember also a gentleman called Charles Scase, who actually won... Uh, a son aria back in about 1952. He was a beautiful, had a beautiful voice, but some, for some reason didn't kick on as an announcer. So you had John Eden on breakfast, Charles Case in afternoons, Barry Ferber was there. Um, he did, he did drive music goes Ferber. David Johnson, I worked with at 3DB. Mal Walden, I worked with at uh, 3DB. Um, so it was uh, a, a pretty big station. And then uh, they didn't sort of uh, really catch on that TV was taking over at night, that no one listened to radio at night, and 3DB were very, very slow, well Curtis Crawford being so conservative was very, very slow in adapting to this new medium called TV meantime down the road at 3UZ they said, okay let's, this is the age of music top 40 and sport and that's what 3UZ had, they had the races in, in with top 40 and they Got some big names like uh, Don Lunn, Jeff Haynes, Alan Lappin, all these DJs, and 3UZ became number one, and 3DB started going down. Uh, later they came back. So in the days of 3DB, there was a health, some halcyon days when they rated very well, other days when they rated badly. But also at 3DB, I had the great pleasure, and in my view, the, um, the greatest programmer I think Australian radio has ever had, Rhett Walker became the program manager and he revolutionised 3DB, changed the format, kept the same announcing lineup. bar one, he sacked, uh, he sacked one announcer, Jim Slade, 
but all the others he stay uh, he kept and um he got me off midnight to dawn into nights and uh, used to leave me notes some of them nice some of them not nice even ring you up on air and say wake up you're not you're not firing but he was a uh, he taught me so much um he was a great programmer um so working with red walker was a a great privilege um i would say the best programmer I can't remember a program in Australia that's better than Red Walker. Talking of those late 60s, early 70s days, Dennis, uh, that would have been around the time that uh, Gerald Lyons was going head-to-head with Norman Banks on 3AW with a relatively new radio concept called Talkback. Yeah, actually, that, that, that's very good you mentioned that, Paul, because 3DB, certainly in Victoria, I don't know about Australia, but certainly in Victoria, 3DB was the first station to introduce uh, Talkback, but it wasn't with Gerald Lyons. Gerald Lyons came a bit later... The first talkback host we had was a guy called Barry Jones. You might remember many, many years ago, probably long before your time, Paul, but uh, Barry Jones was big on a show called uh, Pick a Box with Bob Dyer. He, he had an unbelievable intellect. Um, so they hired him to do talkback, and that, that was the first talkback in Australia. So Barry Jones really was the, the first person to be on talkback, and it worked very well. After about, or not very long, a year or so, Barry Jones decided, oh, you know, uh, I think academia is more my line. In came Gerald Lyons, and he did mornings and did mornings for ages. So you had John Eden Breakfast, then Gerald Lyons. Um, yes, yeah, so DB was the first station to uh, introduce talkback, but it was, uh, it was Barry Jones, and then Gerald Lyons uh, came along later. Now, Dennis, in 1975, Fred Fellows, the director of broadcasting, basically turned the station upside down when he introduced DB Music. Now, many were culled, numerous were recruited, and Dennis Scanlon survived. It was a seismic change in format, and none more seismic than John Eden being replaced by Rick Melbourne. Can you tell us a little bit about that time? Yes, I can. Uh, it was very dramatic. I was, uh, I was, a, I think, the lone survivor. Yeah, Fred Flowers, who was a Herald Media Times executive, was brought in as interim manager to fix 3DB, which had gone down the gurgler again. They were a basket case. And Fred, Flyer, uh, Fred Flowers rather, hired Brendan Sheedy. Now, at that stage, Brendan was uh, program manager of 6 p.m. in Perth. And Flowers had uh, to, um, they, they had 3DB board. There was a 3DB had a board. It was Ron Casey, but basically made up of uh, people from the Herald Weekly Times. The board agreed, yes, this Brendan Sheedy sounds like a person to resurrect 3DB. And he did, but I'll uh, relate that later. So uh, Brendan was hired, and we all thought, oh, gee, but you know, he's going to get the, uh, the Kyber. Uh, it turned out he um, replaced John Eden, you're right. The lineup was uh, Rick Melvin, who came from 6pm, uh, Rick Melvin Breakfast, Ted Ball who uh, many years with the ABC in Perth. Ted Bull also came from Perth, but not 6pm. He was at 6PR. So we had Rick Melbourne, 6pm, Ted Bull, 6PR mornings, afternoons, Dennis Scanlon, the survivor. Keith Harris, also from 6pm, did did drive. Nights was Gary Mack, um, who's a great great voice. Gary Mack's night... Nights and a guy called also from Perth, Ron O'Neill. So uh, Gary Mack and I were the only two people that weren't from Perth. And in one survey, and, and Brennan introduced DB Music, which was basically 3DB was the first station again, uh, first, to introduce the disco sound. Disco had just come on the scene. Gloria Gaynor, uh, this uh, disco uh, Supremes type music. 
and uh, it, we introduced it, and it was a new format. It was no longer 3DB, it was DB Music. It was a big launch because we had the Herald newspaper and the Sun newspaper behind us so we could promote it like mad and didn't cost a cent. So DB Music was a great success until um, 3MP came on the scene. Now, 3DB, besides having uh, music during the week, we had to broadcast races. <laughs> and even despite the fact we had races, we still, we still rated well. But Brendan was trying all he could to somehow get rid of the races because all of a sudden, in the middle of DB music, he'd say, Gloria Gaynor's new one. After we take race three at Flemington, here's Bill Collins. And you had a, had a race. That, we got away with it because uh, people basically said, OK, we'll put up with the races to listen to the music. But then 3MP came on the scene, a new station, and they had a, a great format. It was one hit, one flashback, one hit, one flashback. To cut a long story short, after two surveys, 3DB went from number one down to about number four because we lost business to 3MP because 3MP didn't have the races. So Brendan tried very, very hard to get rid of the races, and he almost got rid of them. He just almost got the board to say, yes, you can get rid of the races. And then Bill Collins, who was our race caller, he was on pretty friendly terms with the then chairman of the Herald and Weekly Times, Sir Keith McPherson. And Bill Collins lobbied Sir Keith McPherson, don't drop the races, don't drop the races. Uh, if we'd been able to get rid of the races, we probably would have beaten 3MP off. But the races killed DB Music because of 3MP. 3MP, I think, in two surveys, <coughs> went to number one. So uh, Brendan Shetty tried all he could um, to get rid of the racing, but he couldn't. But if he could have, um, it would have been a different story, I think. Now, Dennis, there's a quote here from Fred Flowers where he said that uh, DB Music would be an exciting new sound with a blend of top 40 flashbacks and popular album tracks. We aim to please the 18 to 39 age group. Now, in essence, was that a, a, a shot fired directly and squarely at a dominant 3XY at the time? Uh, it was, yes, and, and we did get that demographic. We were very, very, we were big in females, which, which um, thereafter. I remember Brendan, after our first survey, was almost ecstatic. Uh, he said, look at them, mate. Oh, well, look, you know, we're, uh, look, look at this. Uh, we're number three overall, but have a look at the demographics. We were number one in uh, females. We were number one in uh, 25 to 39s, and our 40s to 55s were good. So the demographics were a dream. Yes, we did take some from 3XY, but 3XY were more under 30s. We were aiming to get some back from 3UZ, which we did, and uh, even some people perhaps who were busy to talk on 3AW. So the, our demographics were a dream. We were playing the music that appealed to that demographic, and of course being so so strong in women. Um, but if I look back on the history of 3DB, I, I would say 3DB would have continued to be number one, but they could never do it. Uh, while another station was playing virtually the same music with no racing. So uh, racing was a curse at, uh, at 3DB. Um, but Brendan G, another very good programmer, um, working for, was asked uh, what was working for Brendan Sheedy like. Brendan could be very tough. At times he could be a pain in the posterior. Um, he'd air check you twice a week, and I thought, oh, not again. But yes, mate, could do an air check. But what he was saying, now listen to that, that that's an irritating bad habit. Oh, thanks, Brennan. I didn't pick that up. So uh, working for Brennan Sheedy as a program manager and Red Walker, um, 
it's a great privilege because I've got a lot of time for Brendan. He, uh, DV Music, I, I don't know if it was his idea or he, he pinched it from somewhere else, I don't know, but uh, it did work. And uh, Brendan was a, a close second to Ed Walker, so um, my, uh, if, I asked, if I was asked two are great programmers, I'd say those two, uh, Ed Walker, Brendan Judy. Now, of course, it was around that DB music time that the station pulled off a remarkable radio coup and signed up the king himself, Graham Kennedy, to work with you for a couple of months. Now, how did that come about, and where would that sit in terms of your career highlights? How did that come about, Paul? Um, 3KZ. Les Hyle, the general manager of 3KZ. Um, Ted Ball was given uh, the heave-ho. I don't know what happened, but uh, Ted Ball... uh, said to me, I've just been told by Brendan that I'm out. I said, oh. So somehow Les Hyle um, approached uh, Rick Melbourne about going over to 3KZ, this is Rick, to do breakfast and be program manager. So this was a rather cruel thing these guys did. Um, Rick Rick was a tremendous, great talent, but a little bit of bizarre personality. So he said to Ted Bull, we're going to get back at Brendan. He said, I've just had an offer from 3KZ. You, you can do mornings. I'll do breakfast. You do mornings. Um, we'll get one O'Neill to do afternoons. But the big coup will be that uh, Ted Ball and Rick Melbourne are going to 3KZ. And what we'll do, we'll have this meeting with uh, Brennan Sheedy. I'll, I'll ring Brennan and say, won't have a meeting with him at the Hilton Hotel, I remember, at 5 o'clock on a Friday. So it was a setup. So when Brennan arrived, there's Ted Ball, who he just fired, and Rick Melbourne sitting there. Oh, and also Robert Hicks, who was the breakfast newsreader, great newsreader. He also was part of the coup. They were all going to go to KZ. There was Rick Melbourne, uh, breakfast and program manager, Rick, uh, Robert Hicks to do the news, the breakfast news, Ron O'Neill and Ted Bull. And they were all sitting there. And in walks Brendan. And Rick said, oh, Brendan, um, uh, I've got some news for you. And he said, what's that, uh, what's that, Rick? He said, I'm going to 3KZ, Ted's going to 3KZ, Ron's going to 3KZ, and Robert's going to 3KZ. So uh, we're here to resign. That's how they did it, which I thought was uh, a little naughty. Uh, Rick also offered me a job to go to 3KZ, which I uh, I declined. So after, it was, they called themselves the Pirates. They pirated, you know, the Pirates... We've left, left 3DB, abandoned that ship and gone to 3KZ. How that worked out, I'll get back to in a moment. But that's how Graham Kennedy came about. So after the shock of this, Brendan the next Monday called me in and said, listen, mate, if I can get Graham Kennedy, how would you feel about working with Graham? I said, Brendan, what do you think the answer to that is? He said, okay, I'm, I think we're not able to do it. So uh, three days go goes by and he um, gets me into the office on this uh, Thursday after I'd finished my shift, I was doing afternoons. He said, listen, after you finish tomorrow, how'd you like to venture down to Turak, you and I, and we'll uh, have a chat to Graham Kennedy who would be delighted to do afternoons with you. I said, what? He said, Graham will do afternoons. So he went and met Graham and he was in his house in Turak, top of suburb of Melbourne. Um, very, very good host. Um, and said, oh, Dennis, uh, I'd be delighted to work with you. Well, that was seven weeks, the greatest seven weeks of, of my life. Uh, he was, a, to me, he was always generous. Um, it was never the Graham Kennedy, Dennis Scanlon show. It was the, the Dennis Scanlon, Graham Kennedy show. But some of the things he said, Paul, and some of the things that we got away with, well, he got away with, you'd never believe. I mean, this is, we're talking many years ago, decades ago. 
um, in the 70s, where things, a lot of people were a lot more conservative, he said one day we're sitting there, everything was, uh, a lot of it was, most of it was ad lib, a few little things would be repaired, and we're sitting there this day, and he said, uh, I don't know how this came up, but he said live to her, he said, Dennis, uh, radio is like masturbation. You haven't got to dress up. And I thought, oh, didn't get, a phone, didn't get one phone call. <laughs> and and uh, another one day he was talking about the, the Reverend Fred Nile, who, of course, Graham was gay. And uh, we're talking about the Reverend Fred Nile, who was quite homophobic, as you would know. I think he's still around, member of the New South Wales Parliament. Anyway, Graham says this day he called... Uh, Reverend Fred Nile, a sanctimonious prick. I said, oh. um, no feedback. The next day, about the same time, I said, Dennis, yesterday I referred to the Reverend Fred Nile as a sanctimonious prick. I apologise. I withdraw the word sanctimonious. <laughs> the only complaint, we, only complaint we ever got, we had a news editor called John Boland, who's a very pretty serious type. And John Boland, funny, he was on TV before he came to 3DB, he used to have this bit twitchy eyes would go all over the place and twitch. But amazingly, the camera would go on and he'd stop twitching, but that didn't matter on radio. And uh, Kennedy says on air one day, I said, Dennis Scanlon, uh, Dennis, I said, yes, Graham, why does John Boland, our news editor, twitch? <laughs> I said, I've got no idea. Uh, no idea, Graham. Well, John didn't take very kindly. He was going to uh, sue Graham Kennedy and knock his block off and Brennan had to soothe the uh, things over once again, but some of the things he said, I remember another one, um, the Southern Cross Hotel, which in those days was very, very big in Melbourne, we, we were doing 12 to 3, they used to send lunch down every day on a on a silver tray, which could be crayfish or a roast or fish, a bottle of wine, and uh, unbelievable. And this day we're, we're having lunch, and part of the lunch included, included asparagus, and uh, Graham says, uh, Dennis, do you realise that asparagus has a uh, embarrassing side effect. I said, what is that, Graham? He said, to make sure urine, urine stink. <laughs> That's the only complaint we ever got. Someone rang up and found that absolutely revolting. <laughs> but we got away with the masturbation thing, and uh, but when we came out with urine, uh, asparagus makes your urine stink, uh, we got the right phone call. So I think that three months, I think a lot of complaints we got, when perhaps didn't pass on, but uh, oh no, a fabulous seven months, and he was uh, he was great to me. I mean, it was incredible. Um, he got me three haircuts. Uh, I was about I was about three weeks off or four weeks off getting married. It's Dennis of you and Colette got a TV. Uh, no, Graham and Bill Geddes, I remember, was one of the uh, electrical store in Heidelberg. Was a very big sponsor, and he had to he embarrassed Bill Geddes into giving us a TV. And Bill Geddes rang one day and said, "Mate, uh, yeah, you've you've got your TV." So he, he got me uh, three haircuts at his hairdresser, an incredible time, but uh, he was a very generous performer, and uh, I think it's known that um, off uh, away from the camera, away from the microphone, he was uh, very, very introverted and uh, um, you know, shy, um, but on air he was uh, a different person, but no, he was uh, a delight to work with and uh, as far as I can see, well, my experience with him, he was a, a very nice man. So that probably would be my highlight at uh, 3DB.
Now, five years on and there's another rebranding, this time 103 dB Rhythm of the City. What was the difference, if any, between the dB music format and the Rhythm of the City? Rhythm of the City was much the same, but wasn't as good. Um, by this time, 3MP had become very, very well established. Yet Rhythm of the City, the idea is that, you know, if, if you want to know what's going on in Melbourne, 3 dB have got it. Um, at, at this stage, they're employing a lot of uh, focus groups. What, what would you like to get out of your radio? But... The greatest success was DB Music, and after DB Music, 3MP killed that virtually. We never sort of uh, quite recovered. We might have got to 4, 5th, and then 3AK introduced beautiful music. That took listeners from us. But again, it was the racing. We, if we could have competed with 3AK playing similar music, but with a bit more personality, but again, the racing was the killer. Um, it was a ridiculous setup because... 3DB only did the Metropolitan meetings during the week, so you had 3UZ in those days. They did all the races. So if you wanted races, you listened to the 3UZ. But we had an arrangement the racing clubs that Metropolitan meetings, Caulfield, Flemington, Mooney Valley, during the week they have to be covered. So I would say the Achilles heel of 3DB was always the racing. We didn't, we weren't full on like 3UZ. You missed it with top 40 and did well for some reason. Um, but the racing was the, the Achilles heel that stopped 3DB from, uh, it killed DB music and rhythm of the city again. This, uh, the racing, everything's going fine and, uh, you've called Bill Collins to call a race that could, by the time you do the tapes and everything, um, it could be seven or eight minutes of racing. So of course, all your music listeners are just going to, uh, to turn off. Obviously another change in format didn't quite fit with Dennis Scanlon because after 17 years, you moved on from the basement of Flinders Lane. Yeah, um, well, yeah, Brennan, uh, Brennan uh, became, program, after program manager, he became manager. Then for some reason he left very, very suddenly. And then uh, Warwick Prime became the new manager. I think he came from 6KY. Anyway, um, this was my final year at uh, 3DB. It came to the end of the year. And I was on holidays, actually. It's about a two weeks before Christmas. And Stan wrote, I'd heard Victoria Elster and the man. Uh, he was program manager at 3DB, and he rang me and said, oh, Dennis, can you come in in the morning uh, to have a meeting with myself and Warwick Prime? Well, Warwick. I said, uh, it's bad news, Dan. He said, well, I find out in the morning, don't you? Nothing to lose sleep over. I said, oh, right. So I turn up and Warwick said, look, Dennis, uh, mornings, um, we're not perhaps rating as, as well as perhaps we could. Uh, Keith McGowan has become available. Um, we're putting Keith McGowan into mornings and Dennis Gammon at nights. I said, well, no, Dennis Scanlon will not be doing nights, uh, Warwick. You can stick that up your posterior, very politely. He said, well, don't be silly. He said, think, have a think over the weekend. No, I said, no, Warwick, I'm, I'm resigning now. I'm not doing nights. And after I walked out of 61 Flinders Lane, and if we had, it was, for some reason, painted all yellow, um, 61 Flinders Lane. Rick Melbourne used to call it the yellow submarine. <laughs> anyway... I uh, walked out of the Yellow Submarine and thought, Jeepers, I've got a wife, uh, a child, and a mortgage, and I haven't got a job. Um, about uh, nine days later, I get a call from all people, the ABC in Adelaide, and a gentleman called Eric Silver, and uh, he said, Dennis, I've heard you're between jobs. I said, you could say that. He said, well, how would you feel about doing breakfast? I said, oh... Do you think I'm a, I don't think I'm the ABC type. He said, leave that to us. We think you're the ABC type. So I, I first he said yes to go to the ABC in Melbourne. 
And two days later, after I'd said I was going to go to the ABC in Adelaide, two days later, Jeff Brown, who was then the um, program manager at 3GL, rang me and said, Dennis, I've just resigned. There's a PD's job going here. Would you be interested? And I said, of course, Jeff. And the manager in those days was a guy called Terry Taylor. Um, cut a long story short, after a lot of mucking around, Terry was pretty conservative type. After about a month, they decided, he said, Terry Taylor got me down. And he said, yes, Dennis, you, you're what we want. You don't, you don't have to do an airship, just be a PD. Um, but we will have to advertise. We've got to advertise the job. I said, okay, Terry. Anyway, cut a long story short, after a month, uh, uh, Terry Taylor rang and said, you've got the job. And that was a very happy six and a half years. And it turned out 3GL was owned by the same company, the Herald Weekly Times. So they just transferred my long service leave, and I just continued to work for the same company that owned 3DB. The Geelong Advertiser was owned by the Herald and Weekly Times. So I had six and a half very happy years at 3GL, but after about 12 months, uh, Terry Taylor said, um, I think you should be on air. So I then did mornings. So I, I did mornings and was program manager of 3GL for a very happy six and a half years. And then along came uh, Rupert Murdoch. And Rupert Murdoch um, bought the Geelong Advertiser, or bought the Herald Movie Times, which included the Geelong Advertiser. And uh, Murdoch was an American. Well, he became an American to buy a TV station, but that's another story. And don't get me on Rupert Murdoch. But anyway, uh, because Murdoch owned now the 3GL, he, he couldn't own it because he was an American citizen. So 3GL had to be sold. And we went through a whole lot of different owners. Kerry Stokes had us for a while. And eventually we finished up with a mob called Hoyt's Media. Ben Wheatley was one of the directors and the manager called Nick Scott. Now, I won't uh, get you a libel suit here, Paul, by saying what I think of Hoyt's Media and Nick Scott. Well, Hoyt's Media uh, long ago went broke. So it, it was, wasn't very pleasant. Nick Scott uh, wasn't the nicest manager I've ever struck. So I thought, no, can't stand this, can't stand this. So I just went to Nick Scott and said, listen, uh, uh, I'm finishing at the end of the week. He said, oh, think about it. No, sort of not thinking about it. I'm finishing. And then again, um, I'm out of work. So a little, for a little while, I think it was about three and a half years, um, 3TS Colac decided they'd open a studio in Geelong and they asked me to do uh, mornings out of a Geelong studio for 3CS Colac. I was there for three and a half years until I was a victim of networking. They came in one day and said, listen, um, we decided it's more economical to take John Laws, who at that stage was at TUE, it's uh, more economical for us to have John Laws doing um, just nine, um, nine to ten to have you doing the three hours, nothing personal, but we're letting you go. I said, oh, thank you very much. Then out of work, um, Cherie Gardner rang me from 6PR, Perth, and said, Dennis, um, we've just had a recent notion here. Bob Mormel, who, I, when he was in Melbourne, Bob Mormel, I got along very, very well with. He was writing a radio column for Truth, and it was always very nice to me, and I used to sort of see him at parties and other functions. Bob Mormel was doing afternoons in Perth, and he must have said to Cherie, hire Scanlon. So she, she said, Bob gives you a great reference. That's enough for me. Just send me across a tape and I'll uh, get in touch. And uh, a week later, she said, yes, you've got the job. And that was an interesting format because 6PR was owned by the TAB, Western Australian TAB. 
So I was supposed to do a, a drive shift interviewing politicians interspersed with races and shots and dogs from all over Australia. It was unbelievable. Uh, you'd be, you might have the Premier on in those days, court, Richard Court, and you might have the Premier on. Just, can you just hold the, just hold it there, Premier? Race 3, do, race 3 to dogs, dogs race 3 to Elgin. Oh, um, it was dreadful, the nightmare. So after a year, and I didn't get along with the producer, uh, I said, no, don't like this. Um, so, uh, so I quit. But I was, uh, I had a few, uh, a bit of that superannuation by this stage, so I was able to quit 6BR. And, uh, that's basically my history, uh, Paul. So at the end of the day, Dennis, what type of station format do you think best complements the Dennis Scanlon form of broadcasting? I, well, at, at the Pulse, uh, I do one, one show a week on 94.7 The Pulse. I was doing five, now I do one. Actually two, I, I do a phone thing on a Thursday and phone thing on a Friday. I said to, um, this is my problem with 6PR, Cherie said, we want, you, we want it heavy. You, you're, you're sort of a bit frothy. I said, look, you've got Peter Kennedy at the ABC doing full-on heavy current affairs. I can do current affairs, but as Lee Murray would say, light and shade some. And answer the question, Paul, I want to have fun. Um, I'm happy to uh, kick heads and do political interviews, but it, I also want to sort of be lighthearted and have fun. Thank you for joining us here on Pilots of the Airwaves. Our guest today is Dennis Scanlon. And Dennis, it's uh, time for a dozen or so of our quick jock questions. The first one being, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died? I, I can remember, I can remember. Um, I was a 3DB, and 3DB had a contra account at the restaurant in uh, Turek Village called Jackson's, which is owned by uh, a very big car dealer. And we're having lunch with our... Uh, John Ennis, who was the promotions manager of 3DB, and uh, one of our sponsors who was going to uh, become a big sponsor of 3DB. So John Ennis said, look, uh, Brendan can't come. Can you come along and have lunch with uh, this guy? So we're sitting there at Jackson's restaurant. Uh, it's about 1 o'clock. And um, the waiter came over and said, it, you won't guess what's happened. And um, we said, what? He said, some lunatic shot John Lennon. I said, What? Yeah, yeah. I said, well, how is he? And the waiter said, dead. I said, are you telling me that some lunatic shot John Lennon? So in answer to the question, we were having lunch at Jackson's restaurant, which quickly stopped. I, I felt I wasn't interested. I think I, I can remember what I ordered, salmon. I remember looking at it and thinking, I can't eat that. I feel sick to my stomach. And the other two guys felt the same, but it was uh, absolute shock, you know, uh, after Kennedy and Martin Luther King and... Uh, all these assassinations in America, I thought, here we go again. It was sort of a, a similar feeling to John Kennedy, and I might, to President Kennedy. Um, and that happened when I was at 3XY. Yeah, it was a feeling of absolute shock and disbelief. But yeah, I can remember it was Jackson's restaurant in Turak, and it was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon our time. Can you recall the last concert ticket that you paid for? Uh, Neil Diamond. Uh, Neil Diamond at the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl. I think it I was um, engaged to Glenn at the time. Um, cost me, I think, uh, 
$30 a ticket, 60, 60 bucks for two tickets, because uh, we were collecting my, collecting my wife and myself, Neil Diamond Tragics. And I remember sitting there on the lawn, you were sitting on this summertime, so hot August night, fitted, I think it was January, a summer's night at the Sydney Mile Music Bowl, we were sitting on the lawn there, uh, watching Neil Diamond. I remember I heard this voice, oh, that looks like Dennis Scanlon. And I turned around and there was Philip Brady. So Philip Brady also had paid to see Neil Diamond. So in answer to the question, Neil Diamond, but he was worth uh, every single cent. He was absolutely sensational. And seeing him perform at the My Music Bowl, he sounded exactly like he did on Hot August Night, the album, which I've still got sitting here uh, in my cupboard. Um, yeah, he was tremendous, but he, he was the last one I, I paid for. Is there any concert act that you regret never seeing? I, I'm a Bob Dylan tragic, and something happened. Bob, I had, was all set to go and see Bob Dylan. I think I, um, they rang up at 3DB and said, look, so-and-so, we've got two announcers away. Yeah, I think I was called into 3DB. I had tickets to see him, and I couldn't see him. As so I gave the tickets away, I think I might have been to Ted Ball. So Bob Dylan would be my uh, big regret. I never got another chance to uh, see Bob Dylan. So that, that would be uh, the saddest thing in that regard. Is there a word that you had most trouble pronouncing on air? <laughs> I remember this one, uh, Rimsky-Korsakov. At 3DB, it was a funny, again, a funny format. Between 9 and 1, they have the Dunlop hours, which the director, money director of Dunlop paid a fortune for. And the only, only proviso was you had to play a little bit of classical music in that two hours, 11 to 1. And I remember one night, it was, uh, I can remember... To, this, to, to my dying day, we had a thing called Scheherazade by Rimsky Korsakov. And I, I made a complete and absolute, I, I don't know what it, it must have sounded like, I think it was something like Sakharakifal by Rimsky And I remember the next day, uh, Doug Entwistle, who was then the program manager, said, Dennis, um, you made a bit of a mess of Scheherazade, I can't say it now, Scheherazade by Rimsky Korsakov. I said, yes, uh, Doug. He said, um, have you heard of Rimsky Korsakov? I said, no, I'm not a great, well, I am now, but in those days I you felt very little about classical music. So if I, if I looked at that word now, Shaherazad by Rimsky Korsakov. Um, yeah, that, that, I remember that. Um, it was a nightmare. Dennis, was there ever an incident on air where you thought you might have those Don't Come Monday orders? Um, yeah, one, uh, <laughs> um, when I was doing mid-dawn at this stage, and 3DB had a function in, in their, uh, where the studio was, well, they had an auditorium, and it was, again, entertaining a sponsor who uh, came to buy some time, and I um, was doing, I, this was about five o'clock, and I had a few too many, uh, perhaps, uh, red wines. I used to add I don't drink anymore, but I had one or two more red wines than I should have, and, uh, it was pretty obvious on air. I heard the air check back. I wasn't that bad, but, you know, there was a bit of stirring. I thought, I'm going to hear something about this. I'll hear something about this. And uh, I was at home, and the, the phone rang, and it was Doug Entwistle. He said, uh, Ben? I said, yes. I said, I've um, had a little too many uh, vinos last night. I said, he said, yes, sir. Uh, yes, said, yes, yes. He said, yes, 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 yes. You know, perhaps it's not wise to... Uh, drink before going on air it uh, it was obvious and Sir John Williams who was chairman of the Herald Movie Times quite often listens and if he'd tuned in and uh, heard you sounding as if you were uh, 
Charlie missed, um, it wouldn't have gone wouldn't have gone down too well. So that was a subtle way of saying, uh, don't go on air after you've had a few drinks again. And so um, the Herald Times were a, a very good employer. The Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Rolling Stones, just. I think Black is Black is one of my uh, favourite Rolling Stones things. As a matter of fact, the other night I, I just got a 4K player and I was playing uh, Full Metal Jacket. And at the end, Rolling Stones, uh, Black is Black comes up. So I think it's because I love that one so much. But just, just ahead of the Beatles, because I think Imagine by John Lennon is, to my mind, the best pop song ever written. A little more locally, Skyhooks or Sherbert? Um, Skyhooks. Bit of fun. Dennis, do you have a most treasured piece of memorabilia from those uh, 3DB days that you uh, hold on to? Um, well, actually, as I sit here in my lounge room, uh, Paul, I'm looking at a uh, photo which 3DB did, did for me, a photo of myself and Graham Kennedy. <laughs> so that's looking at me as we speak. That's stuck in the uh, lounge room. Yes, I've got a, a scrapbook with all my... Uh, um, things that have been said about me, some of them are very nice, which I never, I thought, okay, if you give it, you've got to take it. So, yeah, I've got um, Raymond, Graham looking at me at the moment. Um, I've also got in, my, uh, in our bedroom a lot of photos of uh, myself. So, yeah, I like to uh, not delve too much in the past, but uh, a fair bit of uh, memorabilia. And I have got a bit of, uh, I have got some stuff on car of myself and, uh, and Graham. So, uh, yeah, there's some, there's a, a scrapbook, but uh, as I say, this very nice photo of Graham and myself but sitting, uh, looking at me now. Was there ever a time when someone walked into your studio for an interview and you became suddenly starstruck? Um, remember a guy called Lee Marvin? Uh, remember him, Squad? Um, he, he was very, very big. Painter wagon, huge star. And he was having some matrimonial problems. Now, he was coming, he came to Australia, I forget, the, it might have been Painter Wagon. He was in Australia to promote a movie, but he's having this huge bust-up with his, uh, I think it was a paternity thing. This woman was saying, this child is Lee Marvin's, and he was denying it. And I remember before the interview, all these stars used to have this plethora of uh, PR people around them. And this PR lady said, listen, you can ask him anything, but don't, don't get on his turn. Don't mention women. And don't. And I was nervous about interviewing Lee Marvin because he was an idol of mine. And he would interview his book for 10. <clears throat> anyway, I was sitting there thinking, oh, jeepers, you know, I suppose he'll come in with an entourage. <clears throat> anyway, I'm on air there. And all of a sudden the door opened. I look up and sitting opposite on the other side of the mic is Lee Marvin with no PR people. And he says, good day. I said, Lee. I said, yeah. So I started asking questions. And he was absolutely tremendous. I thought, well, I could have my loser here. He seems to be very uh, affable. And I said, now, Lee, um, very much in the news. Now, you're going to ask me about the paternity, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. Lee said, look, you know, I won't go into it. It's a messy business. Uh, but uh, we'll sort that out. Um, no worries at all. So he... Um, that's probably the interview that I, I thought, oh, Jesus, you know, um, this guy's going to be extremely difficult. Couldn't have been more charming. I said, look, oh, horribly embarrassing, but could you sign an autograph? And what? Yeah, mate, anything else? Absolutely lovely man. Um, but, yeah, I was starstruck and uh, very, very pleasantly surprised that uh, Lee Marvin uh, was everything I, I thought he was, only, only better. Best words of advice from a program manager over the years? I think probably Brett Walker, Red Walker. 
Um, he told me uh, many things, but I remember Red Walker uh, said one day, he said, mate, you get on the radio and you have fun. In his words, I want you to screw that microphone. I just think you're talking to one person over a table, you know. Very, very, you're, you're talking to me. I'm sitting there and you're there. Be yourself. Be yourself. Have fun. Have fun. But very importantly, never under, never sort of treat your audience with disdain or uh, I don't know what you're talking about. If you had a holiday overseas, don't talk about it. Because there might be people listening to you that are having trouble putting food on the table. Be humble. Don't go on about, oh, you know, um, I just got delivery of a new Aldi. None of that. Have fun. Be natural. But never, ever talk down to your audience. And never, never patronise your audience. And never think they're idiots. Treat them with intelligence. Because if, you, if you're treating them with disdain... They can, they can pick it. And finally, some of that music or two of the albums that you would consider to be the soundtrack of your teenage years. Jeeves, uh, I can't think of the first... Uh, I can tell you the first... Uh, in those days, 78, the first 78 I ever bought was... I, I was a Guy Mitchell fan, and uh, the first record I ever bought was Sparrow in the Treetop by Guy Mitchell. The first, <laughs> the first album, I think... Um, I used to be, would you believe, many, many years ago, a brass band freak. So I think the first album I ever bought was the band of Her Majesty's Royal Marines. And on it was the 3DB News theme, Heart of Oak. So uh, I, that, I can remember, certainly remember that was the first album I, uh, I bought. But later on when I sort of uh, got away from uh, brass bands, my music selection now is uh, very, very broad, uh, Paul. Um, I can look at my, uh, my collection and the stuff I've got in the car, there's... Uh, there's Beethoven, there's Taylor Swift. I'm a Taylor Swift tragic, just lover. Um, I love uh, Bruce Springsteen. I like some, some rap I like, strangely enough. I'm, I'm into a bit of rap, as long as it's not, you know, profanities every, every third word. So I can sort of uh, listen to Taylor Swift and then go and listen to a bit of uh, Litwood Band Beethoven. So, so uh, I do find classical music very, uh, very therapeutic. If you're in a traffic jam or something and you punch up classic FM, it sort of, to me, has a very uh, therapeutic effect. But I can play, as I say, play Beethoven and then play uh, Taylor Swift. Dennis Scanlon, what can I say? We've been through the history of 3DB from about 1965 right through to 1985. We've covered your amazing career and uh, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much for being part of Pilots of the Airwaves today. All those men, my great pleasure. Dennis Scanlon on Pilots of the Airwaves. And, hey, feel free to leave a comment, uh, give us a like or a thumbs up or whatever you do these days, and we'll catch you again next time. <laughs>